run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hello and welcome to episode 307 of The Freelancer Show. Today on our panel, we have Eric Dietrich. Hi, everybody. And I'm Jonathan Stark. And today we're going to talk about dealing with inbound communications, what to do if you're getting too much and what to do if you're not getting enough. So Eric, this was your suggestion. So what, how did you envision this initially? Well, initially I was thinking of my woes over the last couple of <laughs> weeks, which involves far too much inbound communication. There's actually somebody I'm working on a project with right now um, on a business partnership that was trying to reach me. And he was, um, in, in essence, saying, well, would it help if we did Slack versus Gchat? And I was kind of saying, the problem isn't so much the medium. It's that I get all of this inbound communication across so many mediums. <laughs> the problem is that I need less inbound communication or, I guess, kind of ways to manage it. Mm. And so it struck me as that it could be an interesting topic because I've read an awful lot of um, – you know, productivity type of nonfiction books over the years and have pretty aggressively um, tried to manage this communication. But even so, there's just so much, much of it coming in at times that um, it is proving to be a, a difficulty for me at the moment. So it seemed like, at least for me, a relevant topic. Mm, yeah, great, great. Okay, cool. So uh, that's funny. You answered a my first question, which was, do you mean just email or do you mean, uh, you know, multiple channels? So what are the, what are your inboxes? Well, I have several different email accounts, all of which filter into a Gmail. I have a second Gmail for another venture that I'm doing and a third that I check from time to time. Oof. I am part of, I don't know how many different Slacks. There's all the social media. I don't typically get a lot of phone calls. I've kind of tried to discourage that over the years. Mm -hmm. But I was telling this person, you know, when I wake up in the morning, especially because my content business hit subscribe, we have clients all over the world. So I will wake up every morning to, I don't know, 10 Slack messages, several social media messages, 15, 20 unread emails. And I don't mean spammy emails. I, I ruthlessly eliminate those too. Yeah. I mean like emails that probably require my attention in some way. Um, so I've got a lot coming in and I'm constantly working on ways to uh, optimize, I guess. Right. How about you? So for me, a similar story with the phone. I've trained everybody, including my family, to don't bother calling me. I don't get back to you. That's not a channel that I use. Uh, and I've, I've done that in large part also with the email because e the nature of email is that, you know, your inbox is kind of like a to-do list where the whole world can assign items to you. You know, just yeah. like if they have your email, they just shoot it in there and now it's the balls in your court. Uh, so I've, I've uh, maybe a year or two ago, I 
moved all any kind of any kind of urgent client communication i moved into slack so if anybody's looking for me and it's urgent it's going to be in slack and what that did was you know the, the big difference between slack and email is that slack is sort of a members only situation it, right not any old person can send you a notification in other words so what that allowed me to do was was basically ignore my email inbox uh you know maybe i check it once a day uh, you know if i'm if i'm if i'm not having a busy day i might check it more but i really don't check it that often it's pretty common that at the end of the day when i've sort of wrapped up everything else i'll be like oh, i'll take a look at my email now and i'll have easily have 50 non-spam emails uh and all of them all of which require a response even if it's just thanks for the feedback or something like that but <clears throat> there's quite a bit of it and uh, occasionally i'll declare email bankruptcy and just you know say like no I, I can't i'm getting too far behind it's been five days and i haven't said thanks for the message type you know sort of uh hat tip kind of messages and i'll occasionally just go and delete them but usually not but the the nice thing about the um the nice thing about moving all of my sort of urgent paying customer client communications into slack is that i can ignore my inbox my email inbox and to a large degree and just deal with it when it's convenient for me and I don't yeah. feel the need to be checking it urgently because if, you know, if there's even one person who sends you urgent email, you're forced to check it or who might send you an urgent email, you're forced to check it. And then you go into your email and then 45 minutes disappear. And you're like, oh, man, you know, so, and, and another, another email strategy for people who are trying to sort of, um, or who are struggling with that particular problem is that there are, Gmail plugins and I like you have a couple of email addresses that all filter into the same Gmail account So I'm not checking multiple email inboxes, but uh, they all go into one inbox And I've used in the past inbox pause other people use SaneBox to it's kind of like Skip the when an incoming message Would normally hit your inbox it instead goes into a folder that doesn't notify you that you have a new email so you set up a schedule where you know periodically and for me, it was like once a day, it would move, take all those sort of buffered incoming emails and then move them into your inbox all at once. So even mm. if you, even if I checked my email, you know, if I was weak and I was like, I, Oh, I've got five minutes. Let me just, I'll just check email <laughs> and go in there. There'd be nothing there. And yes, I could drill into like a subfolder, but that was just enough friction for me to, to be like, eh, never mind, whatever, I'll go do something productive instead. But the reason that I was able to get sort of get away with that was that I knew that if anything urgent was happening, it was going to happen in Slack. And that was a very, very small, you know, you know, I'm in maybe eight or nine Slacks, but I think only one, two, three of them are have paid customers in them. So I really only have three Slacks that I have to check that I air quotes have to check because someone's paying me to check them. And right. the number of people across those three Slacks is maybe 50 people. So it's a very small subset of the 7 billion people worldwide who could send me an email. <laughs> I, I like the, uh, the app you're talking about to shunt them away from the inbox. That would be good for me because mm -hmm. I've, I've developed a number of <clears throat> hacks over the years. Uh, one of which, I don't know if I took this from the four hour work week, but I took it to heart where it's like, I've, I've conditioned whether they're paying customers or whomever um, I've conditioned everybody to expect kind of an SLA of 24 to 48 hours from me on email. Like I don't do synchronous email. That's just not a thing that happens. What I do is I have a once a day where I go in and I zero my inbox. Um, 
that can be sort of time consuming, but it's always manageable enough that I can sort of dispatch everything as needed. But I do see them when they come in and no matter how disciplined I am, there's always that temptation to deal with it. Or there's the feeling of, uh, I, I know I'm going to have to deal with that tomorrow at lunchtime when I next do my inbox. And you know, it's on your mind. I feel like mm-hmm. it would be better if I weren't even thinking about them, if I just didn't see them. I, yeah, I agree that there's a big emotional difference between just not knowing it's there and, and strenuously trying to avoid it. And yet there's yeah. a, yeah, I saw that I, I too read a four hour work week and there's that sort of thing like, you know, check email once a week sort of thing. Um, there's another, there's a related topic that you, you started to touch on there that, um, who was it? David Allen that wrote, uh, getting things done, the GTD kind of framework for getting things done. Mm. And he he has what I think is some great advice about triaging your inbox, whether it's your email or a physical paper inbox of like your incoming mail or whatever, where there's sort of three, three categories. So when you're, when you're in triage mode in your inbox, you either, you get on the list and you say, you know, either deal with this right now. If it's less than like a minute, deal with it right now. If it's going to be more than a minute, you put it on a to-do list. However you do that, there's a million ways to, to take an email and turn it into a to-do but you, you're like, I can't deal with this right now. I'm triaging right now. So I'm going to move this to a, a to-do list. And then there's the, maybe someday I'll get to this, but probably not. So you just archive it. Right. And, and that framework meant that mental framework for me is like, is, is roughly translates in my mind to, it's easier for me to reply to this than to make a to-do for it. It would literally take me longer to make a to-do than to reply. So I'm just going to reply, 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 reply. And I can blast through, you know, if I have a, if I have 50 or 60 emails in my inbox that are all that all warrant a reply, even if it's a short one, I can blast through it really quickly, like maybe in 10 minutes to triage the whole thing. I haven't replied to all of them because a certain number of those will be things that warrant a longer reply, but I'll put those in a you know, reply to folder. And, uh, and that's been pretty effective for me to kind of like have this, this idea of like, okay, I'm going to triage my inbox. I'm going to create to-dos out of the ones that I can't answer very quickly and just reply to the ones I can and archive everything else. So you can go through there and I don't get to inbox zero every day, but it's pretty common that I do. And event in, in the ones that turn into That's to-dos, very similar to how I approach it. Cool. Cool. And the ones that do turn into to-dos, if I, I put them on a to-do list and if they, if it goes longer than say seven days or so, I just delete them. I'm like, I'm obviously not going to do this. Like I, I thought I was going to do this. It seemed important at the time. I probably should do it, but I haven't got time for it. So I'm just going to delete it. And, you know, being honest with yourself so that your to-do list doesn't turn into, you know, just a, uh, your garage, you know, like a bunch of garbage in your garage, <laughs> like boom, all this junk in there. Uh, I try to keep my to-do list to, you know, no more than 10 or 12 things. Of, that I actually believe that I need to do. And as they age, I just, I'm like, Oh, I guess, I guess I'm not the person I thought I was. I'm not going <laughs> to do this. So I just get rid of it. Yeah. I have moments like that too, where, cause I will, um, in a similar way, I use Trello to keep track of my days and to do lists and such. And mm-hmm. if I put something on there and then I see it, 
after a week or two weeks or whatever, that it's just kind of sitting there. Um, then I have this moment where I'm like, I guess this isn't really that important to me. You know, the, the data suggests this is not that big of a deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's yeah. actually a Trello plugin I used to have. I don't, I don't know if it's still a thing, but where you can set the cards to like yellow with age. Mm. So you can more like in a very visceral visual way, see what you're ignoring. Oh, that's so great. I love that idea. Hmm. If we could find that we'll link to it in the show notes, that sounds really good. Yeah, I forget what it was called, but yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. There's a, a funny anecdote that I like to tell when conversations like this are going on. Uh, I heard this f- at a conference where Alan Branch, who started Less Accounting, or co-founded Less Accounting, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he st- <laughs> he certainly suffered from inbox overload, and he claimed, and I believe him because he has the personality for it, that he would just delete all email, and if it was important, they will send it again. how he knows that the second email is not getting deleted i don't know but uh, i found that funny (laughs) that makes me think of um there's a guy scott hanselman who wrote i think it was a blog post once where he said in in recommendations for dealing with a corporate email um in outlook that he created three folders or two folders cc bcc and then there was his inbox so he didn't create that one it just existed but he set up two rules and um the rules were that everything that was he was CC'd on went to the CC folder and BCC, uh, respectively, to the BCC folder, and they were all marked as red. Mm-hmm. And he would go back like once a week and look through those. And when people would complain, he would say, um, oh, well, you CC'd me on it, so I assumed I wasn't the target of the message. And apparently that dramatically cut down on the number of emails that he was receiving. Yeah, I often say that email begets more email. Sometimes the the best way to get less email is to respond more infrequently. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I certainly have situations when I was handling customer requests in my email inbox where someone would frantically send me an email and for whatever reason back then, uh, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to reply, reply to it immediately where I'll get like another email. It's like, oh, wait a second, I think I might have it. And then another email five minutes later. Oh, <laughs> never mind, I figured it out. Oh yeah. And it's amazing when you, when you, when you can sort of do that on purpose and force a little bit of a delay in the response, it's amazing how many things fix themselves in That's the 10 truth. minutes. And I know since I've kind of just, I mean, I didn't do anything deliberately to do this. It was just, I would always respond once a day or two. People got used to that. I don't get many of those kind of sequences anymore because I think people think through what they're going to send me more because of that. Hmm. That's my hypothesis anyway. But I, I, I can remember that from my days in the corporate world, all kinds of stuff like that. You go out to lunch and then you have like three or four emails like that ending with never mind. But that doesn't happen that much to me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, it's hard for me to, yeah, I, I am really reaching back into the memory banks because my email inbox has become a very different thing for me having moved all client communication to Slack. So, you know, and, and, personal communication to Facebook Messenger or whatever, you know, or text. So, you know, all, all all things that, I guess text is open to the world, but nobody knows my phone number. So, you know, basically private networks. So you're allowed to put a notification, you're, you're allowed to make my phone ding if I know who you are, you know, and mm-hmm. especially if we've exchanged money, but generally, or we're related, <laughs> you know, that's pretty much, pretty much the, the, the boundary lines that I have set. And I, now that I think of it, I do have... My family stuff is kind of in one app and my business stuff is kind of in another app and I can sort of independently set the notifications for those two applications to be appropriate. So it, uh, 
you know, since nobody calls me anymore, basically like if something urgent happens family wise, it's going to ping me in messenger. And if something happens urgent business wise, it's going to ping me in Slack and literally nothing urgent happens in my email. So I just check it whenever. Hmm. I like that. The differentiation between who can make your phone, give you a notification. Mm -hmm. That's something I could stand to do. Cause right now that's the public, uh, because I'll get notifications about Gmail. Um, mm -hmm. Don't necessarily answer all of them. I'm thinking another interesting point about managing inbound communication is the moment at which, you know, for whatever, as you get to be more of that, there's that moment, I'm guessing you can probably vaguely remember when this happened, where you stop responding to everybody that contacts you. Like you just can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, you see it. I mean, ideally, I suppose, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if all freelancers, I'm sure not all freelancers are on this track, but many freelancers are on a track to becoming more of what I would consider to be a consultant and engaging in, you know, a higher level work and built, perhaps building an audience and, and positioning themselves as an expert in a field and, you know, gaining some sort of notoriety. When you do that, your volume of incoming email is going to go way up, way, way up. Or maybe it's <laughs> DMs on Twitter or messages on LinkedIn, whatever it is. It's going to go above. Yeah. <laughs> and you want, I mean, you, if you have a big idea and you have a particular point of view and you're on a mission to, you know, it's tabs, not spaces, like whatever your mission is, you know, you go out and do it. If, <clears throat> if you're doing a good job, you're going to end up with, uh, you're going to end up drowning in, in inbound communication. So at some point you need to take steps to save yourself from that. Otherwise you're not going to be able to do good work. You're just going to be doing busy work. So you see it in like, you know, Tim Ferriss is a good example where his, he's got like a weekly email that he sends out and at the bottom, it's like due to volume, I can't respond to this. I, I don't even, I don't know if it says I don't check it, but I get the sense that he doesn't check it. You know, it, 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 replying to that email is just not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, putting for people who are their own boss and are essentially creating their own lifestyle and their own job and their own career. No one's going to control this, but you, it's, it's up to you to, to set boundaries and enforce them in a way that keeps you sane. So it's up to you to figure it out. You know, I'll say too, in declaring, well, I don't know if I, it's not bankruptcy, but <laughs> in making that switch where I'm not going to respond to every blog comment or email or whatever, and starting to think about what makes the cut and what doesn't, I mean, there's a lot of inbound things from recruiters or whatever may, they may be, they're kind of no brainers. But I think if I think of the biggest thing that's likely to turn me off now, um, it dives into the subject of, I guess, kind of cold outreach. But there's nothing like getting an email when you have this inbound communication problem that sort of requires you to do homework. Um, <laughs> like if I went into I got some message on LinkedIn or somewhere today where it was this guy that's like, I run an app dev agency. Why don't we have a call and you can tell me how I can help you? And I'm thinking this isn't the kind of thing I would respond to. But even if I were inclined to like think about what you're asking me, buddy. Like I need to do an audit of my businesses and try to think about how I can pay you for, and for what <laughs> that becomes now an immediate archive. I just, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah. Don't dignify it with a response, but yeah, I'm the same way, but also I'm the kind of person who just cold hangs up on telemarketers. So I, and I know people who don't have the constitution to do that. So, you know, if, if it, well, fortunately these days they're all robots, so it makes me feel less bad about it, but uh, it does take a little bit of intestinal fortitude to just be like, nope, no thanks. Yeah. I think um, I my experience has been that that sort of ruthless, if you want to call it that, just 
judicious use of your time gets easier and easier to execute the more inundated you are with stuff. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what makes the cut is a lot easier to figure out. Like if you can kind of manage your volume, but just barely, that's almost the worst place to be. Uh, but actually yeah. that's a, that might be a good segue into like, you know, maybe this is first world problems. Like what if you're not getting, what if you don't have a lot of clients? What if you don't get a lot of inbound communication and really you kind of like, you know, tapping the mic, is this thing on? Like, <laughs> you know, what, you know, I thought it, it might be interesting to kind of flip the script and say, well, what if you're not getting any inbound communications, i.e. leads, or um, maybe you are trying to uh, put forth some sort of platform or put a new idea into the world, or you're just trying to like make an impact, whether it's intended to generate business or not, maybe it's just intended to change minds or get somebody elected or whatever it is, and you're just not getting any traction at all, nobody seems to care. Uh, what are some things you can do to uh, to change that so that you are, you know, at some point perhaps dealing with this this issue of like, wow, whoops, that worked. And now, you know, I'm drowning in, uh, <laughs> you know, incoming communications. Um, so the, if I go back and think kind of like run it all back in reverse, where did all this come from? Um, I get a lot of email about books that I've written. Um so creating a piece of content and putting it out into the world and getting some visibility. Um, I get a lot of communications, comments, notifications, et cetera, through my blog, um, people signing up for an email list that I have. So I think probably one way is to produce content and provide um, a venue for people to engage you about that content. That's probably the single biggest thing I've done over the years. And that is clearly a long play. Mm -hmm. um, since we run a blogging business, you know, I get a lot of people asking me for advice about blogging. And I think a lot of people go into it and say, well, I'm going to write, you know, posts over the course of two months. And then I'm going to sit back and bask in the, you know, <laughs> massive amount of traffic. It, comes. <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. Um, and actually early on, you can do certain things like you can find other sort of less traffic to bloggers and almost build a little bit of a network where you comment on their blogs. They'll come and comment on yours and that sort of thing starts to get you some attention. But um, I think you have to be putting something out there that'll, to me, is the single biggest thing that started to bring in inbound communication and, you know, uh, a bit of lead signal in all of that noise as well. Yeah. So I, I totally heartily concur. And we, the, the like tactics thing, people will obsess over tactics that will make, you know, things 10% better. My personal trainer is always laughing about people that, you know, they're going back and forth and back and forth over, you know, oh, should I buy this shoe or that shoe or this shoe or that shoe? And he's like, you should get in the gym more. Forget about your shoes. You're not going to the gym enough. You're eating, you know, you're eating like a pig, like right before you go to bed, forget about the shoes. You can wear any shoe. So, and I know it's like a normal thing. Like everybody wants to obsess over the shoes because that's easy. That's fun. You know, that you can go down a fun research rabbit hole and think, oh, would this one look better or that one look better? Will this one make my knees feel better or that feel better? But but without ever, you know, going out for a run or without doing the hard part, which is showing up, you know, daily or weekly to get to the gym or make the time to go for the run or whatever it is. So, you know, like comment sharing and back and forth, all that stuff, all that stuff is valuable, but it doesn't. It will not work. None of those tactics will work unless you show up and share stuff, yeah. whether it's blogging or podcasting or vlogging or whatever it is, webinars, speaking at conferences and meetups. You need to be putting 
thought leadership or whatever your thing is, you need to be talking about it, creating and, and putting forth new ideas into the world for free to the globe. And I mean, and we are like in a position these days that, you know, I'm going to be 50 this year. So, and, and I'm a musician. So I remember way back in the, in the pre-internet days when you had to get permission from a bunch of people who basically thought you were an ant to, to be able to share anything in a meaningful way. And now it's like for free, like it's free. Like you can reach the whole wide world. So, but, but does anybody do it? Yeah. A lot of people, uh, of course, a lot of people do it, but a lot of people don't do it. And mm. instead we'll think about, well, what shoes should I buy? You know, it's like, okay, step one, like Eric said, you got to share more, whether it's a book or blog or post, you know, whatever, give it away, give it away for free. All your best ideas, put them out there. When you do that, I'll give you, I'll give you specific, a couple of specific tactical things that I see people that make this mistake all the time. So they decide like, okay, I'm going to blog or I'm going to podcast, I'm going to do whatever. If you, if you're doing that and you're still not getting any kind of inbound communications from it, you might want to check and see if there's a, a clear, like a simple, clear, easy way that you've made incredibly obvious for people to send you that feedback. You know, like, hmm. is it, you know, let's say it's a blog. Is there an easy way, you know, can you comment right there? Great, you can. Or click here to send me an email. Okay, great. Send me an email. Or like, whatever it is, it needs to be a very easy way for them to raise their hand and say, I love this. I hate this. Thank you for doing this. You're crazy. Like some way to interact with you in a way that's not anonymous. So I suppose comments can be anonymous. Uh, I, I haven't really looked at, I don't know how to, how do comments work these days? Are they anonymous? I guess so. So well, they can be, I guess, depending on the medium, something like discuss or however you say that yeah. maybe takes away a bit of the anonymity, but yeah, I would say mostly anonymous if people want them to be. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of that. So I'm, I'm a, I'm not a fan of this sort of anonymous drive by traffic, leaving their two cents. So if you're not going to, if you're not going to attach your face to it, I don't care about you. Sorry. So if, if the, if let's say you're blogging, I would say the easiest possible thing is just put an email address at the bottom, click this and, e you know, tell me I'm nuts or tell me you love it. And they click it, they type an email, they send it to you, whatever. Now you're in a conversation and you've got a, a there's a very clear way for them to do something that they want to do after reading your post. So the post is meant for them to take some kind of action at the end. And that action is send me an email or yeah, it could be a bunch of other things too. call me, book a time on my calendar. Uh, at message me on Twitter, whatever it is, some way for them to, with their identity attached, to get in touch with you. Um, yeah, and if I would add to that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so when you're doing this, it, you're playing a long game too. Um, the rate of people that will comment or email on a blog post, um, for instance, I believe is somewhere at like one in one to 200. Mm. So if in the beginning you're getting a trickle of traffic, you know, five, 10 people reading a post, it's perfectly normal for none of them to engage. You would be amazed if you've only ever consumed content like a podcast or a blog or something. Um, how many more people are reading than are engaging. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's probably like less than 10, probably 1%. Yeah. So that sounds about right. Yeah. So, okay. So then if that to me, you know, you're, Eric's actually the expert here, but I, I just do this for myself. And for me, the next, the next thing that if you, if you're sharing a lot of stuff and you are, and you've got a clear way to communicate, you know, you've got a, a clear path for a reader or a, whoever's consuming the content to get in touch with you. 
and it's still not happening, you need better stuff. So, because it's probably not a visibility problem. It could be, but to me, that's tactical. If it's good and anybody sees it, they're going to share it with somebody else. And eventually, I mean, again, long game. But if your stuff's good, people are going to share it. And if it's affecting them in a positive or negative way, they're going to want to tell you about it. So if you've got a way for them to contact you and you've been sharing and nobody's nobody cares, make better stuff. And the quickest way, I think, to make better stuff is to focus, is to like put on your empathy cap and focus on a particular pain point or a specific pain point in the people that you're trying to help, the people you're trying to serve. So if this is in service of a business that you're, you're trying to generate leads or create an audience that you're eventually going to sell things to, focus on their pains like, and talk about them and give them a, a path to relief. You know, so like, oh, well, we're doing it right now. You're, you're drowning in your inbox, right? Right. Here's a couple of things you could do to, to get your head above water. It's that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. if, you, if people don't care about your stuff, make it better. Yeah, that is definitely true. If you are, um, if you're getting eyeballs on it and nobody's consistently engaging, that's a smell like there's something wrong. <laughs> if you're resonating with people, they will start to engage. One thing I would say is if you're going to generate content in any medium, a, a big mistake that I see people do at first is they want to sort of push the throttle really far to having traffic. So they say like, here's my hot take on why agile software development actually sucks. And then they (laughs) put that out there and they expect it to go viral because contrarian articles tend to go viral. And then they're utterly mystified when the world doesn't come around and say, nobody wants to read Joe Smith's, you know, contrarian hot take. Um, And what they're doing is they're failing to do what Jonathan mentioned, which is to have some kind of empathy and present a problem. Like, you know, it's, I tell people this with um, when they're writing for a blogging agency with organic search, it's all about, what problem the users are Googling about. Like nobody wants to see if they're Googling about agile software development, they're probably wondering what it is. They're not Googling to see why you think it's a bad idea. (laughs) So the more you are empathizing with them and solving the question that's in their mind, however, they're arriving at your site, that's when they're going to start to appreciate what you're doing. They're going to start to engage and ask, you know, Hey, what else can you do to help me? I see you have a blog post here. Do you do consulting? Um, you know, you'd be amazed at the range of things people write in to ask you to do. Um, over the course of time, but they'll want to engage. They'll want to know more. They'll want help. Yeah. You become an intriguing character. Like that's, I'm glad you brought up the hot take thing because that is, uh, it's just such a sugar high. It's so cheap. It's so short lived. It's such a tactic. It's, it's, it could be in service of a bigger strategy. You know, maybe that's your whole thing. Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you are, are appalled by, let's say, the the general the sort of average person's um, uh, preference for convenience over privacy. Let's just say, let's say you're in the minority of people who think privacy is more important than convenience, and you're willing to subject yourself to to inconvenient, I don't know, um, software practices. You know, using inconvenient software to do things that maintain your privacy instead of just using Google or just using Facebook. It's so easy. It's right there. Why not just use it? You know, if you're in that minority and maybe, maybe your hot take isn't actually a hot take, it could be contrarian, but not a hot take. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. something that, um, a position that you can actually back up, you can tell a credible story about why your, your worldview, why you believe this is a mistake that people will come to regret, you know, a, a thought, a thoughtful piece. It doesn't have to be super long, but it could be a thoughtful piece that is that makes sense in the overall 
you know, in your overall body of work and, and drives people to that same point. So not all of your articles would be like this. Some of them would be about more nuts and bolts things probably, uh, could be about news in the space. It could be a million things. And every once in a while you have a, you know, why you shouldn't use, why Google Docs sucks and you shouldn't be using it type of post, you know, like a, it sounds like a clickbaity, uh, clickbait sort of title, but if you can support it, I'm not necessarily against that. It's these like throwaway garbage pieces that you see everywhere where you get like 350, you know, words on somebody's opinion with no supporting evidence and like all sorts of broad assertions that they have no evidence to support. And audiences are savvy. So, um, to piggyback on what Jonathan's saying here, if, um, if, you click on something that says, you know, you're all a bunch of sheep for using Facebook. Yeah. And that's literally the only post on the blog. Everybody knows what you're trying to do. Yeah. There's not a lot of mystery there. But if you have a whole site that's based around, you know, maybe your premise or your value proposition is that, you know, I, I help demystify, you know, less well-known pieces of software that are privacy focused for people. If you if you have a whole bunch of stuff where you help people do that, then that hot take or whatever you want to call it that can turn an article starts to make sense and you might actually start to resonate with people. Um, you're certainly going to anger people, but um, I think it's on the Moz blog they talked about sometimes the value of making enemies where if you identify your tribe and who you're trying to sell to and you find the things that kind of unite them against another group, if you anger that other group, you can bind them to you. Mm -hmm. So there can be value in stuff like that, but it has to be part of a strategy. Yeah. If it's just tactics without strategy, then, you know, you look like that person that's just trying to stir the pot to get people looking at your blog post. Yeah. It's, it doesn't lead to long-term engagement is basically, it doesn't work basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody just kind of collectively rolls their eyes and says, Oh, troll trying to get attention. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's see, what else can people do to, uh, oh, okay. So particular, particular, uh, yeah, I don't know if this is a tactic. I don't know if we want to get into this, but, um, I think part of making your, your stuff better, you know, I sort of like admonish people, like, well, make your stuff better. If no one's sharing it, make it better. Well, how do you make it better? And I think that, that we're sort of touching on that stuff now, but I wanted to kind of call it out explicitly and say that, you know, it, there needs to be a strategy. Honestly, I think the quickest way to do it is to pick your tribe. Like you just mentioned, it's like, who's your tribe? Cause if you're just writing general tech posts, like, you know, I'm guilty too. I used to do this. It just, you know, it was like a yard sale of my blog was like a yard sale of topics. <laughs> like anything that interested me at any particular time I'd write about just completely random stuff that the only, the only, you know, the only thing that brought it all together was that I wrote it, you know, and that was about it. Yep. Me too. For a lot of years. <laughs> yeah. So if you, so if you uh, are getting no traction with your stuff, you're not getting any inbound leads, then uh, it could be that you haven't decided who your reader is. If we're talking about a blog, you haven't decided who you're, you're writing to. You're just sort of writing to yourself or, or you're writing basically like about what interests you on any given day randomly. And instead of, trying to help a particular sort of person. So, you know, for me, it's like freelancers and consultants, people who bill by the hour basically are the people I'm trying to help. If you bill by the hour, I have information for you that is going to take pain away. And it's, it's a hundred percent clear. It could, it, it could not be clear. Like dear listener, do you know anybody that bills by the hour? The answer is yes, of course you do. It might be you, it might be friends, but you definitely know who, where 
if you write a blog post about like, oh, the new user agent string on uh, Android Oreo is, you know, it's like, who's that for? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think empathy is a huge part of that. So the empathy and, you know, the, the proposition around hourly billing is nuts is, you know, at least I think of it this way because I can relate to it years ago. Like, have you bogged up against this invisible ceiling where you just can't raise your rates anymore? Hmm. Yes. You know, <laughs> go on. I'd like to read more <laughs> yeah, about this. Exactly. When you understand, when you demonstrably understand a reader or a listener's problem, that's when you're really going to get the engagement because, uh, that's just kind of like magic. That's when they're going to be hooked and um, they're going to start writing to you and saying, oh my goodness, yes, I have this problem or, oh, do you know how I can fix this, et cetera. Um, that was the transition that sort of happened with me. I actually at times stumbled upon this in the early going of my blog because I would write these sort of snarky, cathartic blog posts and those would be the most traffic, uh, get the most traffic. And I realize now in retrospect, you know, I was writing about awful code reviews or incompetent senior developers, and I would get this flood of communication because the broader world out there was like, yes, this is my life. I understand. Um, so this was before I was trying to monetize or generate leads in any way. But learning that lesson, you can express empathy or you can have empathy for and express that um, for the people that you're trying to engage with. Yeah, absolutely. It's about connecting with their their pain or their uh, aspirations, you know, like what, what are your, what do they dream of achieving and connecting with it? It's almost like, it feels like mind reading to, to me when I come across someone who writes in that way. And it feels like mind reading to people, you know, people tell me it's like, you know, they're like, Oh, when I read your homepage, I was laughing out loud because it was like, you're in my head <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's connect. That's the connection, right? That, that's you're connecting. And it's like, okay, if you eventually do want to monetize it, then there's usually is pretty obvious how to do it. In fact, if you have a big audience, they'll usually tell you how to take their money. They'll, oh, you should put together a class or why don't you write a book or, you know, you should do a workshop. So, you know, and then to, to bring it full circle, once you, once you do start to get traction, you can tell because your <laughs> inbox starts to fill up. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, something worked. You start having the problem from the beginning of the show where what do I do with all this email? Yeah, exactly. So, it, you know, so good problem to have, but it is a problem nonetheless. You know, I saw, um, I wrote about it on my blog kind of recently and linked to it, but it was this great post that captures the empathy and the pain dream fix paradigm, which if um, for anyone that's never heard of this, it's, it's kind of a way to write landing page copy, but it's also a good way to think. Mm -hmm. And what it, it had a picture of um, Mario uh, from the game Super Mario Brothers, like little Mario. And then next to him was the flower. And then next to that was larger Mario shooting fireballs. And it pointed at the flower and it said, this isn't what you sell to your uh, users. This is, and it pointed at Mario shooting the fireballs. Like you're not, you're not selling flowers. You're, you're selling Mario on the idea that he can have a superpower if he buys your flower. Yes, that is. Oh my God. I have to see that. That sounds so good. That's so great. <laughs> Cause that's exactly it. You are, and people, people get sort of, uh, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but it's a hundred percent true that, you know, people don't buy code. People aren't buying your copywriting. People aren't buying your photography. They're buying what they think it will do for them. They believe that if they invest in this code or someone's code, that then it's going to get them more customers or it's going to satisfy their existing customers, or it's going to get customer service off their back. Or it's going to, you know, they're going to beat their competitor or it's, it's something they don't need 500 lines of code or 5,000 or 5 million lines of code. They don't need that. They need 
the fireballs. You know, that's the thing that, that they would want. And they believe that you might be the flower that will lead to the fireballs. So focusing on uh, the, the, the outcome for the user is the thing that will give you that connection. And it requires empathy so that you understand what it is that they're struggling with in their lives or what they're trying to achieve in their lives. And this applies to sales, but it also applies to getting traction for, you know, whatever your content marketing is, whether it's a blog or podcast or whatever, you know. So, okay. All right. So let's say, let's say, let's say, dear listener, you believe this. Let's say you're buying into this. Eric, how would you, for someone who's listening that doesn't know how to get that sort of mind reading capability, that empathy with the audience that they seek to serve, what, like, do you have suggestions for that kind of a person? Sure. I can think of a couple off the top. One of them involves some stuff we're doing um, for some clients and in, in a new line of business in, in my blogging business, which is like, it can be as simple as um, if you go into Google and you start kind of playing with terms that you're searching for around what you're doing. Um, and I'm struggling to think of like a real concrete example off the top, but like Google will do autocomplete. And so you can start to get yourself feedback. You know, a lot of people will type questions into Google and some of them are very discreet with their answers. Like how many miles is it from here to San Francisco? Google will just pop an answer. But if it's like, you know, how much money do entry level programmers make? Um, I'd be willing to bet just based on doing a lot of this, that if you start typing, how much do programmers, the first thing that'll come up is make. Mm -hmm. So you can start to see um, what questions what are things that people are wondering about and get a feel for if they might be part of your tribe. And so an early way to get some traction, both with empathy and with content is to just start answering their questions. Mm -hmm. um, you can also maybe jumpstart that a little by going and figuring out where your tribe hangs out and then seeing what they're asking, you know? Um, so depending, you know, if you're selling Ruby development or something, um, you know, looking through Stack Overflow or the programmer Stack Exchange to see what types of questions related to what you're doing people are asking. That can be another one. If a lot of people are, you know, wondering about how to implement uh, OAuth or, um, you know, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. then you can start writing about that. You can not only can you see what people are asking about in the form of, say, a Stack Overflow question, but you can see from the comments and answers and such, like, what are the pain points? So they implement this and then there's a lot of comments about one of the answers because it's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some very tactical things that I think can really help you to understand something related to what your eventual sales proposition might be um, to empathize with people there. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's a tactic that I recommend as well. Other places are uh, you can find Facebook groups where your tribe hangs out or depending, you know, it could be Quora. It sort of depends on uh, what type of person that you are trying to reach because they tend different types of people tend to hang out in different kinds of communities online. Twitter is another great one. You can, uh, if, if there's like a well-known hashtag for your industry or whatever it is that you do, uh, you can just do you know, search for the hashtag and get all sorts of information about, you know, sort of people's thoughts. Like, cause it, you know, Twitter tends to be like, Oh, I'm just going to like blast this complaint out here. And <laughs> it's a great place to find pains because, it's so it's almost like the place to go to vent your spleen. So, you know, if your audience hangs out on Twitter, it's a great place to find find pains. But the the bigger thing here really is uh, you just talk to them more, and you know, interact with them more. Have conversations. Get into conversations somehow. Whether it's you know whether you're just sort of lurking in these places and and kind of reading what they say or uh, sort of sniffing the Google autocomplete to see you know maybe that gets you started. 
But once you have, once you're connected with some of these folks, maybe it's people in a Slack that you're in or people that you work with or people that you used to work with or friends of yours who, who you believe are in this audience, just shoot them an email and ask like, uh, you know, what challenges are there? You know, talk to them more, have more conversations with the people in your target market. And in a relatively short amount of time, you're going to almost have ESP into what they see as their challenges and their aspirations, their hopes, dreams, fears, pains, all those things. Uh, it's really, I mean, honestly, the harder part is picking a tribe. Like who, who is your tribe? Who is it that you're trying to reach? So on and so forth. But yeah, we're, we're getting kind of down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. So I think, you know, to, to cap and to get the, or uh, the ideas about, you know, getting this, um, inbound communication, you know, whether it's doing this initial market research, picking a tribe and starting to speak to them, the, the unifying theme for me overall, um, is that you just got to keep showing up. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people will tail off after a while, but the traffic will come in a trickle and that'll become a flood before you know it. And, and then you'll have people reaching out to you. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Good problem to have, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I would say I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining too much. <laughs> I, I would rather the too much inbound communication than too little. I, I will say that. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. Gives you some control and visibility into your pipeline. Um, okay, cool. So let's uh, let's wrap it there and switch over to picks. Have you got anything this week? When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and long view to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code FREELANCERSHOW2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is FREELANCERSHOW2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions. Sure, I can do a few. I think it's probably since we touched on it in the show worth um, I'll throw a pick for getting things done. That's a book that I very much enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then over the last week, um, I'm going to pick my hosting company that I use for some of the blogs we have, which is SiteGround, um, specifically because I had never spun a site up from scratch with them. And when I did it, it was um, we're going to make a kind of niche-ish uh, uh, site for my company hit subscribe that we're going to own. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point is, um, with SiteGround, I was able to buy the domain name. Somehow it started resolving the DNS like immediately. And I had the whole thing up and working, including an installed WordPress instance in like 15 minutes, like mm-hmm. just from nothing to done. And it was incredibly easy. Um, so easy hosting right there. And they've always been good for me. Um, and the other thing I adopted this week was, uh, to minimize as I'm doing some sales outreach, like booking problems, I'm using Calendly yeah. uh, to manage my calendar publicly. And that has already made a huge difference just in a week. Yeah, I love it. Calendly's the best. Um, so that's it for me. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll plus one on Calendly, obviously. Big fan. Very big fan. Um, but picks for this week for me, I've got uh, first a book called The Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields. 
there's so many books out there that that look like this. You know, if you look at the cover, it's like two guys in suits shaking hands, and like it's so easy to gloss over this book, but it is so good in terms of offering practical advice for uh, essentially marketing your products and services to a particular audience. It's it's specifically for consultants, but I think there's a, a lot of really good stuff in there for folks who who put themselves in the freelancer category. Uh, I, I actually uh, interviewed David on another podcast I do, Ditching Hourly, and you can check out uh, an interview there with full transcript. But uh, honestly, that's just a teaser for the book. I, I could not put the, the thing down. I read every page. It was great. So uh, uh, that's that. And another thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let people know is I am getting ready to launch a beta for an online seminar called The Pricing Seminar. So folks might be interested in um, learning how to price your work instead of bill for it. You can go to thepricingseminar.com and see if it looks interesting to you. And if so, you can sign up for the early announcement list there. All right, uh, that's it for me. And, and that's it for us on The Freelancer Show. Hope you join us again next week for The Freelancer Show. Did I say The Freelancer Show? <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, thanks a lot. See you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.